seeing me up here, and I don't like being up here. So anyway, um, I'm up here to introduce Reverend Monty Hale. He is a representative, the pastoral representative for the South Carolina Baptist Convention. Um, back in early August, after Jason had, you know, you know, gave his resignation and everything, we've invited Monty Hale to come in and speak to the deacons and to talk to the deacons about what is our next step. Uh, what's going to be our next step into we're going to get a, we were thinking an interim pastor. And then this was brought to our attention, and that's where Mr. Hale is here today to explain to us what a transitional role is. And then what's our role back to the transitional pastor? Um, it's a great program. Um, the deacons have been working very hard in the last couple of weeks. We've been interviewing some people. Um, we've been meeting. We actually have a meeting this afternoon. And then we possibly have another interview this week. So the deacon behind the scenes, we're doing a lot of work. We're trying to get, you know, I speak to Mr. Hale multiple times during the week. And if Mr. Hale's not in his office, I'm talking to his assistant, Tracy. So I'm also talking to Ron Underwood with the Baptist Association. So we are doing stuff behind the scenes. We're going to keep the pulpit supply. We're going to keep someone up here at all times. Um, but hopefully very soon we'll be able to announce to you who the transitional pastor is going to be. So I would like to introduce you to Reverend Monty Hale. Um, he has been here a number of times. A lot of y'all might recognize him. Um, you know, he was here before, and just, you know, he's got some good words to say. Whatever he's going to speak on today is in a little pamphlet for the transitional pastor. I have a stack of them. We can get more from the convention if we need to. If someone would want a pamphlet, just see me after the service. And if you don't catch me after the service, they'll be out here on this table right here at this door, okay? All right, Mr. Monty Hale. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you. Yes, sir. Thank you. Well, it's good to be with you today, and uh, I hope that uh, this will be a time not only of information, but also inspiration as we look toward uh, what's going to be happening in your church over the last few years. I was here several years ago and did a revival for you. I don't know if you remember that. Bud and Barbara Lee with, was with us that time, and Bud had something happen to him, if you remember one day, one night as we were up here, but uh, we had a great, great time back when Condi was your pastor, and I'm still in contact with him. I don't know whether that's good, bad, or anyway. But uh, uh, he's, uh, in fact, I'm doing something for their church next, uh, next week. And he's doing very well and sends his greetings to you, as do I from the South Carolina Baptist Convention. And uh, we're excited about what God may be doing for you. I'm also good friends with Jason. And uh, so I know all your former pastors. I don't, you know, anyway. And I'm very excited about your new building out here. I took a tour the last time I was here meeting with your deacons. The last time... Uh, before I came, uh, back in the revival time, that was just a bunch of woods out there, and I know it was a dream, and you've done well. It's a beautiful building. Now you've got to use it for the glory of God. You know, uh, so many people build these beautiful buildings and try to keep people out of them. You know, let's make a bunch of rules so the community can't use this. Well, that's not what God intended about our buildings. He's, he, we need to open them up so that people can use them. But anyway, that's another, that's another sermon. I won't, I won't go on that one. But let me just share with you a little bit about the transitional pastor uh, ministry today, and it, uh, it really is a ministry. It is, some people call it a program, some people call it a plan, some people call it a process. It's really a ministry that uh, we introduced to the, associate, to the group of churches, 2,100 churches in our state, about 10, 11 years ago. We had one called the Intentional Interim. That process um, became more and more non-Baptist, and so 
we, uh, we don't want that. We want to be Baptist, you know. So, so we have uh, worked with Lifeway on this, and we have, uh, they developed it. Uh, I've done uh, quite a bit of writing on the manual and have helped them since then. They gave it to the states not too, not too long ago when we were able to kind of market it and be with our, uh, have it our own self. And then uh, me and a guy from Oklahoma, the pastoral ministry guy there, has, we have uh, taken the ministry and we have done the manual, redone the manual several times. But it is a ministry. It is a ministry to your church. And I, I, the, the word program uh, sounds like something we're going to kind of come and bring to you and you got to do it a certain way. Well, it's not. This is a process of ministry that we are able to say to the people that we, that we train, here's a way to do this. Now go to a specific church and do it the way they need to have it done. So there's a lot of different things. The manual's about that big and sometimes they use a lot of it, sometimes they don't. Uh, but anyway, it is a ministry to your church. It will be something that whoever comes will help you with. But I want to just today kind of go over some of these things, and then uh, we're going to have a very important time when we gather together for prayer, all right? Let me share with you some options for your church. You can have a new preacher every week, kind of what you're doing now. It's, it's what I call the parade of preachers, okay? <laughs> you, have, you have different guys, and somebody shows up different in this uh, in this uh, pulpit every Sunday. A lot of churches do that the entire time during this interim time. They'll have somebody from our building, they have somebody from the association, somebody from around here in the Camden area will come in and preach for you. You can have a traditional interim. Traditional interim is, is a guy who's going to come in, he's going to preach for you, he's going to do some things for you, um, and then he's going to be gone, and that's going to be the end of it. But what I want to share with you today is the whole idea of the transitional pastor. It's a transitional pastor, but it's an interim on a different level. As a matter of fact, we dropped the word interim because transitional pastor gives a more a sense of permanency. It is not something that we're going to say, he's here one minute and gone the next. This is somebody who's going to come and invest his life in you. He's going to become a member of your church. Uh, hopefully he'll tithe. If he doesn't, you need to let me know so that I can correct that. But, uh, but uh, anyway, he's going to be a part of your community He's going to stand in this pulpit and say, we are going to do this, and we are going to do that. And that's, that's their goal. So transitional pastor. The best use of your transitional time. Let me just real quickly go over several of these. Can you go to, here we go. Assess the strengths and weakness. Now, folks, every church has strengths and every church has weaknesses. I would say one of your strengths is fellowship. Because you spend 10 minutes fellowship with one another in the worship service. That's important to you. That's a big deal. You built a fellowship place over there. So, you know, when we say the word fellowship, we Baptists, what do we think? Eat, and most of the time fried chicken. That's what we think about, okay? Well, that's, that's a part of it, but the word in the, in the Greek or the word in the New Testament is the word koinonia, which means you are vulnerable to one another and you're able to actually live in a community of faith. You take off the mask and you be the people that you want to be. So you have strengths. And you have weaknesses. Every church has weaknesses. Most of the time we go in and assess churches, the number one weakness is evangelism. We, we have a hard time sharing our faith and winning people to Christ. So there's weaknesses. I don't know what yours are. We'd have to, he's going to look at that and see. But what you do is we want to accentuate the strengths. All right? We want to talk about what you're good at and make that better. Uh, you know, our culture doesn't do that. When I used to, when I, if I ever showed up uh, when I was a little boy with my report card to my mom and there was all A's but one C on that report card, what did my mom say? What's the C about? 
No, really what she said is, whose report card is this? But anyway, <laughs> anyway, but anyway, that's another story. But um, yeah, what's the weakness? We talk about the weakness. Well, what we want to do is turn that and say, what are your strengths? And we're going to put those in the front. We're going to mend some broken fences. Now, every church has conflict. Don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. As a matter of fact, if you're not having conflict in your church, guess what? You're dead. The only churches that don't have conflict are dead churches. That's like the only people who don't have conflict today. It's all settled for them, you see. They don't, they don't have any conflict. They're dead people. And I've been in some of those churches. They love each other. They care about each other. They, you know, they come in, they hug each other, they kiss each other. Isn't it wonderful? And they go out the building and that's the end of it. They're just dead. But when God does something among you, Satan doesn't like it. And as a result, he gets you stirred up. And a lot of times it's about things that aren't really the main thing. You get all mad and upset about what color the bathroom is or, you know, something like that, something silly like that, and before you know it, you're fighting about it. Well, during this time, it's a good time just to mend those fences. There's no such thing as conflict resolution, only conflict management. So he's going to help you to manage that conflict. He's going to help you to renew the vision of the church. He's going to go back to some of the visions that you've had, the mission statements, the different things that you've done, the things that you've looked forward to. And he's going to come back and he's going to say, how? Is this really where we want to go? Is this where you want, want to head for the future? Before you call a new pastor, let's decide what your vision really is. So that when the new pastor comes, he already knows what the vision is. Or so that when the vision is renewed... The, the, you as a church can say, now go out to the pastor search committee. You can say, now go out and find somebody that can help us and lead us toward that vision. You see, it's God's vision. If you think that the next pastor coming along is going to bring revival in his suitcase, that is a, and many churches just go from one pastor to another, and he's got a new program, he's got a new logo, he's got a new mission statement, and before you know it, you're going from one thing to another. No wonder we can't gain any ground, because it's not coming from the heart of the people. And so what we're going to do, and what he's going to do, is help you to renew that vision. Set new growth goals. You say, oh, that's just numbers. Yeah, but going and, and finding people that need to know the Lord. And by the way, did you know that 70% of the people within your ministry area here are lost without Christ? 7 out of 10. Really, it's more than that, because in that 7 out of 10, I put, I put some of those in there that are Southern Baptists, and we all know that... There are some Southern Baptists that are lost. I hate to tell you this, but yeah, there's some Southern Baptists that are, as a matter of fact, we can't find half of them. The FBI couldn't find half of them. If we had, there's more Baptists than there are people, you know. So, so there's growth goals. You've got to go out and say, how are we going to grow this church? How are we going to reach more people for Christ? Share the leadership load will be another thing that he'll have, have you to do. Uh, part of my job at the convention, a big part of my job at the convention, is helping pastors be stronger. Many of them are worn flat out. You know what I'm talking about? They are worn out. And they cannot continue to do what they're... A lot of times churches will say, well, we hired us a super hired holy man and he can just do whatever he, we want him to do and I don't have to do it anymore. No, it's not his church, it's your church. Yes, you're paying him a salary. Yes, you're hiring him. Yes, here, you want him to lead. And yes, he's going to be the first one wherever it's going to be. That kind of, don't hear me saying what I'm not saying. Please hear it. Yes, but he also, the transitional pastor will help you to share that load so that they understand we're not going to wear a pastor out in the next few years. The whole goal of a transitional pastorate 
is long pastorates. Not that he's here a long time, but the next pastor is here a long time. Most pastorates in our convention, as a matter of fact, the average pastor will stay in a Southern Baptist church 38 months. You can't even get your boxes unpacked in 38 months, folks. I've, I've been in, uh, we've been, live, we lived in uh, our house for 11 years. I still got boxes I ain't unpacked. You know, I don't even know, that probably needs, they, they need to go bye-bye. But anyway, but anyway, you know what I'm saying? We need to have long pastors. The studies say that after year five is when a, pa- a preacher becomes a pastor. Up until that point, he's a preacher. And then when he's, but after, after those years of being with you and helping you and, and going through those crises with you and, and, and struggling with you, then he becomes your pastor. So the goal of this is that your next pastor will have a head start. He'll be two years into it when he arrives so that he can stay. He doesn't worry about all that other stuff. He knows where he's headed. He knows where he's going. And therefore, that next pastor can do what he needs to do. And, of course, the last thing, and I I wish that probably should be the first thing, and it should be all over that slide. Pray, 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 pray. Continue to pray. This is the time you need to get your prayer life the way it should be. You say, well, why? We're just hiring us a preacher. No, you're not. You're seeking God's man. Dear friends, when you walk into God's territory... You're on holy ground. And I say to every church that I train pastor search committees for, I say to them, this is God's territory. You're not looking to hire somebody like you'd hire at your work. Oh, there's some things you've got to take care of, sure, that have to do with that. You're looking for God's man. And if he's really God's man, then God has got to do the choosing. And you've got to follow after what God is already doing. And the only way to do that is to pray. And I I hope that this will be a time when you do that. All right? Thank you, Ashley. Next slide there, if we can go there. You're in your present congregation. There are people who are in deep grief over the loss of your former pastor. There are people that are not in deep grief over the loss of your former pastor. There there are those who don't know your former pastor has gone. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) I don't even know what the former, former pastor, who he even was. I uh, heard a story the other day of of an interim pastor who was in a in uh, Kroger's, and he was in line and started a tried to start a spiritual conversation with the person in line with him. And he said, uh, "Well, where do you?" He got around and said, "Well, do you go to church anywhere?" "Oh yeah, I go to so and so church." And it was the church where he was in the interim. And he said, "Oh yeah, who's the pastor there?" Um, she he said, "She said, oh, it's brother so and so. Yeah, I love him. He's so great." And, she, and this guy said, "Well, sorry to tell you this, but he he died a year ago." Anyway, uh, so. <laughs> You, you understand there's these nominal church members, and there's people who don't even know that, that Jason's gone, okay? Don't even remember his name. And there are those who accept that transi- this transition as normal and expected. So that's kind of where all of you are in your, in your thinking and in your feeling right now, okay? Uh, next. The transitional pastor that we're going to share with you, and, that, and your deacons have already uh, uh, interviewed some of them first and foremost he's an experienced pastor now i didn't say worn out i said experienced okay some of you say you're experienced well your experience comes they've kind of been there done that got the t-shirt kind of you're not going to surprise them with a lot of things most of them are retired and or they're young retired uh they've been called into this ministry hear me closely 
They will not be a candidate for your next pastor. As a matter of fact, uh, we're going to talk about the covenant in a minute. I asked churches, and we asked churches to put uh, in the covenant that they will not be considered as a candidate. Here's what happens. I've been in interim church in churches before. After about month three or two or whatever long it takes, somebody's always going to come up and say, well, how about you just stay? You stay with us. You know, well, that's not what this, that's not the purpose of this. Now, it may be that he's God's man. Now, I'm not going to say that he's, that I'm the Holy Spirit or anybody else. If it's God's man, then we're going to work around that. But he's not coming in here to intentionally become your next pastor. He is not going to be a candidate. We do the training we train them in about three intense days at the Baptist building on how this ministry is supposed to ha- happen. We recommend them to you, but you select them. All right? Because South Carolina Baptist Convention is, is an autonomous body. You're an autonomous body. We're not about to start uh, appointing pastors <laughs> to your church. You, uh, I've been a Baptist since I was minus nine months. You can't tell a Baptist anything, okay? Two Baptists in a room, three opinions. I know how that works, okay? I understand. But we're not going, we're going to recommend, I'm going to give you two or three names, and they've looking at two or three different names. So another one just came up this week that didn't have anything to do with me. But they're selected by the local church, okay? You're going to select that next pastor. All right, next. The expectations on the covenant. Let's talk about the covenant a minute. It is not a contract. It's a covenant. It's a good faith con- uh, covenant. You're going to say to them, I'm going to do this, and you're going to do this. As the transitional pastor... I'm going to, I'm going to, here's my work schedule. Here's what I'm going to, and by the way, he can be here as long as you'd like for him to be here. Every day if you want him to be here. Uh, you can ask him to, uh, to be here two or three days a week. Do, your, do some of the hospital visitation. Do the preaching. Do the Wednesday night. Uh, whatever, if he's the moderator in, in your church, he'll be your moderator. He'll be all those things that he will, he'll become your pastor. He's going to, here's my work schedule on this covenant. Here's a salary and benefits that we're going to pay him. All right, some people ask, well, how much, how much that's going to be? Well, we recommend, and it's not up to, up to us, it's up to you. And you, the covenant is between you and, your, and your, uh, your next transitional pastor. If the covenant says, I'm going to be here half of the time that a norm, normally a pastor would be, then we recommend that you pay him accordingly. Do whatever you want to. The deacons will decide that. Uh, but it's between you and the covenant is between you and the pastor. His housing, his benefits, his expenses, his vacation. You say, vacation? What are you talking about? He's going to be here long enough. He's probably got grandkids. He's going to go want to go see them grandkids. Anybody got, anybody got, a, got, got a witness here? Somebody wants to see? Yeah. You got to go see those grandkids. It's got to, that's all presented to the church before the transitional pastor comes. Everybody here will understand this is what his expectations are. This is what we expect out of him. All right, next. Then the congregation is asked to, get, to do these things. Give the process a chance to work. Pray for it and support him and be involved. And work, that last one is very important. Work forward to calling a new pastor. You say, wow, this sounds like it's going to take a long time. Folks, I deal with churches all the time that are in this transition time. It takes these days, it takes nine months to a year to find another pastor. It just takes that long. This process and this ministry takes nine months to a year. <laughs> it fits right into what needs to happen. You know, back in the day when I was growing up, uh, I looked at our history of my church where I grew up, 
And my two childhood pastors, uh, three childhood pastors, one, it took six weeks to find the next pastor. The other one, it took two months to find the next pastor. Those days are over. Uh, pastors, pastors don't live in parsonages anymore. Their they're, uh, furniture's not on wheels anymore. You know? They don't move like that anymore. And so now the process takes longer. It takes, a, takes, takes you to get to the point where you can be together. People are very busy and the committee has to work together. But you work forward during this whole time of calling a new pastor. Sometimes it takes longer than a year. And that's in a church that's very troubled. I don't foresee that here at, at Hermitage. It might. But you have to know that, that God's working and God's timing and God's ways are not our ways. And so it takes God's timing to do that. But all through this process, you're going to work forward into looking for a new pastor. All right, next there, Ashley. Uh, there's a couple of groups, the advisory, uh, advisory group, which is four to seven people. This is kind of his sounding board, a group he's going to bring around him. They're selected by the transitional pastor, but basically that's recommended by different people in the church. And so he's got that group up and going. He's going to, he's going to help them. It's going to help him a lot so that he, they can influence other groups because there's some other, other things you'll need to come to and, and some groups you'll need to be a part of and some events that will happen. And then the next one is... There. It is uh, the focus group. And that's kind of like your church council. That's the one who keeps, this is the group that keeps things going. I hope you're not nervous about things falling through the cracks here. You have a great group of deacons who have decided they're not going to allow that to happen. The thing that you have to do, however, during this transition time is you have to up your commitment to communicate. You have to say to other people, so-and-so is in the hospital, or my dad is in trouble, or I've got, you've got, I need this, I have this need that we hate, or I've got a neighbor who has a need, or whatever it be. You need to make that as a central part of your communication. Now, the great thing about that is, is you have a great associate pastor who is kind of the hub of the, of the communication here. And, and I noticed on the back of the bulletin today, Brother Mark, there was, there was a place there, I'm glad you did that, where you put that in there. If you've got a need, call the associate pastor. That's a great need. But listen, he can't do it all. You have got to, to communicate those things, and so it's important that you do that. And this group here will help him to focus and keep things going as you, uh, as you hopefully don't keep, uh, keep things from falling through the cracks and helping people. Okay, next. Uh, this stage one. I'm going to go very quickly here. Stage one has to do with your church history through the eyes of Christ. You're going to look at that. Why did you make certain decisions? Let me give you an example. Why did you put off putting, and I don't want, I don't want an answer to this, okay. Why did you put off building the building as long as you did? Why did you, um, why did you decide that it was time to do that? You see what I'm saying? And so you, it's, it's how you made decisions. You go back all through the history of the church. When you built this building in 1953, what was that like? What was going on here when you built this new sanctuary? And how were things going? Now, 1953 was a much different time in Camden, South Carolina, that it is now. And so you'll put that into context. You'll also go back and get very personal. You'll say, well, this happened when I was here. I, I was married here, or this is a joyful event. This is when my children were baptized in this church on so-and-so date. Or, or here's another thing that happened. My parents both uh, had their funerals here. And, you know, it's all those things that come back. And, but you look at it through the eyes of Jesus. 
How did Jesus lead you to do that? Why are we doing that? We're doing that so that you'll find out how to follow after Christ. Folks, listen to me closely. We're talking about a pastor. But the most important thing about the transitional pastor and what he'll do is he'll bring you back to the concept and to the the truth that this is Jesus' church. Okay? It's not a pastor's church. It's not your church specifically. But it is the Lord's church. And so that's what that church history night will do for you. He's going to go affirm biblical principles for growth. There's a lot of ways to grow a church non-biblically. I've done it before. And it's not good. So you need to make sure. Focus on kingdom results. You've got a big group of people not only in your association, but you've got other people in this this, uh, city that want to reach people for Christ. How can you partner with people? How can you get into the community, that is, uh, groups that are helping your community be better? How can you reach people for the kingdom of God? He's going to help you establish church practices. In other words, he's going to look at all the way you do church and see how those things are done and how you can sharpen that up. Maybe look at your constitution and bylaws. I don't know if he'll do that or not, but that may be something he does. He'll talk about allocating the leadership, physical, and financial resources. So that they're done in a way that is God-honoring, that is Christ-honoring. You see, all of these things have to be done in this stage. And that takes about three months to do. So that you can prepare your your search committee to reach and find that pastor that is out there. So that you can have those things in order by the time he gets there. Now, I've pastored four churches I would have to say to you, if I had this happening for me before I came into those churches, I'd have praised the Lord. Instead, I I spent about two to three of my first years in those pastorates trying to do all of these things. And my my wife will tell you, I beat my head against the wall trying to say, oh my goodness, I can't believe that this is in such shape and all those kinds of things. You've got to get the, the order ready so that God can do what he wants to do. That's what this is about. He is like the John the Baptist of, of, of the, the coming person who's going to come, not Jesus, of course, but the coming person who's going to come announcing the way and getting the way ready for you. All right? Stage two, finding the new pastor to lead in fulfilling God's future for your church. So your, your staff, your uh, search committee can continue to can start working uh, whenever uh, you're ready. You can do that. Whenever you feel like, or, he, or your transitional pastor says, yeah, you're ready to start doing it. He, they can start now if they need to. If you've elected one, you can get one elected, whatever. But you're, the stage two is concentrating on finding that new pastor. And that could take six months to nine months. You see, you've got, you've got the three months in the front, but that could take six months. By the time that they're out doing these things, they're going to be ready because they've got all of these, this information. They've got all of these this uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit to do and to get things done for uh, your church. And then helping the pastor get a good start in the church and the community. That's stage two. You'll be assigned to his, some of you all will be assigned to his family. I hope that you will take that assignment. One or two of you ladies may be even assigned to his wife and say, hey, how can I help you get started? Here's the good grocery store, okay? Here's the one you don't want to go to, okay? Um, one of the things, and I'll just, uh, I, I don't want to beleaguer this, but one of the things that I noticed when I moved from different states when I was pastoring, I, I grew up and pastored first in, in, Oklahoma, well, in Missouri, and then I went to Oklahoma where I grew up, 
But I noticed that my first church and seminary was in a little corner of Missouri near the Iowa-Nebraska line. The first funeral I ever did as a seminary student, and it's the first person I have as a pastor, I have a little church up there, um, was very different. The funeral uh, that I went to that day had, uh, when, they, when they put the, the uh, body for viewing, they put a net over the front of the, 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 and that was the hold back from the old days before the embalming and that kind of, I hate that, this is a terrible thing to say, but it was, it was to keep the flies off the body, that's what the net was for. But it shocked me, I thought, what in the world was this all about? You see, I didn't know that that, and in Oklahoma, when we do um, funerals, at the end, they open again, and people come by, and the pastor stands at the... And, and you see, we don't do that here in South Carolina. They never had the visitation in Oklahoma either. You, have, you see, a guy coming from another part of the country or another, part, another state, he may not. He may come from right here in South Carolina. He wouldn't even have to deal with it. But he needs to go and see the funeral director and tell him how things are going to go. Because as sure as the world, first couple weeks, three or four weeks, he's going to have a funeral he's going to have. You see what I'm saying? It's those kinds of things that helps a pastor and a pastor's family and a pastor's wife get a good start. And the transitional pastor is going to help him do that. He's going to take notes on all y'all. I'm teasing. Okay, that's a joke. He's going to tell, he's going to say, hey, here's some things that you can do. Here's some ways that you can get a good start in the community. All right, next. So the length, I've already kind of talked about the length of the ministry, uh, about nine months to a year. Some people said, well, I heard some people say, well, it was 18 months. No, it's nine to 12 months by the time they get started. The cost of the ministry is nothing because you're paying it through your cooperative program gifts. The same way that uh, my salary is paid and my expenses are paid. Thank you very much for that, by the way. God bless you for that. So there's no cost. Of course, you want to pay him. What's the next step? What do we need to do as a church? Even if we don't do transitional pastor, what do we need to do as a church during this interim or transitional time? Well, I want to go back to the slide. It was about slide three, I guess, where I said the number one thing you can do is pray. If there's anything you can do right now, and you can say, well, are we going to vote on this and blah, blah, blah. I don't know. Uh, your church and your, your deacons will decide how that's going to happen. But the, you see the thing at the bottom there where I said pray, pray, pray? Well, one thing you can do right now is pray. In this interim time, you need to pray. Let me share a scripture with you, and then we're going to wind up today's presentation, and I'm going to talk to you a little bit about what we need to do. Joshua chapter 3 Joshua was getting ready to lead the people of God across the flooded Jordan River. It was an impossible thing. There was no way he was going to get that million or so people across that river. And two of the, two of the, uh, the tribes had already inherited their land and they didn't have to go across the river. You see, so there was a lot of different attitudes and a lot of different ways of thinking but Joshua heard from the Lord, and he said, here's what I want you to do. Get the priest out there, and I'm going to make a way for you. But in verse 5, Joshua went throughout the camp. They were camped out there, huge camp. He went out throughout the camp, and he said these words in verse 5 of chapter 3, Joshua. Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow... 
the Lord will do amazing things among you. One of my favorite verses, brother. The Lord. Now, unfortunately, what we've done in the North American church is we have decided it's not about the Lord anymore. It's about us. Look at what we can do. I mean, my goodness, we have beautiful places like this to worship in. It is is (laughs) air-conditioned. It is comfortable. We've got money to do ministry with. And so many, many times we have forgot that it is above, that is about the Lord. Notice here he didn't say, now get yourself ready or consecrate yourself because tomorrow you're going to get out and people are going to say, wow, look at those people, look at what they're doing. No. He said, tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. You read the rest of the story and that's exactly what he did. But I believe that if they hadn't prepared themselves, they wouldn't have been ready. 9-11-2001. The Sunday after 9-11-2001, Cindy and I lived in Kansas City, Missouri, where I was serving on the Missouri Convention. We couldn't believe that that happened that day, and we were members of a, of a large church at the time just down the road from us. I'll never forget that Sunday, as you probably won't, because we got there at the normal time and couldn't find a parking place. People from hither and yon, from every nook and cranny of this nation, went to church looking for, looking for hope, looking for a reason, turning to God. And we weren't ready. You see, it wasn't long until afterwards that two or three weeks, six or seven weeks, a couple of years, everything went back to normal. All the patriotic things that we sang and all the turning toward God and the prayers we offered unto the Lord had faded. I believe it was God who was trying to get our attention on 9-11, and we missed it. You say, well, how can God kill 3,000 people and get our attention? God can do whatever he wants to, but listen to me closely. I don't want to go down that path. I want to go down this path. Had we consecrated ourselves to him, God would have done amazing things among us instead of business as usual. We've had this brother come today and say to you, we need to get out and vote. I believe that is true. We need to get out on the courthouse steps and pray this coming time. We need to do that. Folks, revival is not going to start in the White House. Revival is not going to start at the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. Revival is going to start in the churches of our nation. And until we consecrate ourselves and say to the Lord, Lord, do whatever you want to do. Lord, get us ready for what you're going to do. Nothing's going to happen. We're going to have business as usual. Now, I can say to you, if, as a church, if you want business as usual, you want things the way that they are, and you don't want to change them, that's fine. That's your choice. And I believe in choice. I believe in free will. 
But so many of us need to come to the place where we say, God, we want what you want. We want the man that you want to come and lead us in this church. Some of you may never be on the pastor search committee. You're not, you don't want to be, you're not going to be. That's fine. But all of us have got to get to the place where we say, God, lead us to the man that you want to lead our church. Get us ready for him. Here's what I want to do as we end today's service. I'm so glad you have these prayer benches here. Um, I'm going to call us to prayer. You can use these these right here and right here. This is going to be an altar to the Lord. I want to ask you as a church, if you would be willing, you deacons, you Sunday school teachers, other leaders need to be the first. If you'd lead the way, just to come forward in front here, we're gonna, we're gonna, our instrumentalists are gonna play a just real soft, I surrender all. If you would come and pray to the Lord and be sincere in your heart, not, not something for show, not pharisaical, something you would say, God, I want what you want. Prepare my heart what you want so that I will follow after you. If you're sincere in that and you would say yes to that, now before you do, understand he may call you to do some things that are out of your comfort zone. So be sincere. Do it because God wants you to do it. Do it because you want to follow after him. Let's pray. God, thank you today that you're in this place Thank you today that you worked with Joshua. Thank you that you consecrated him and you made him into the leader that you wanted him to be after Moses had passed. And on that day when he crossed the Jordan with the rest and did as you commanded, even though it didn't make a lot of sense, even though it was out of his comfort zone, that he prepared the people for what you were going to do. Now, Lord, we ask you to prepare.